Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, you will get to hear a message from Pastor Roy entitled, Answering Unavoidable Questions. Today's message is from Matthew 16, verse 26, where Pastor Roy will look at two unavoidable questions that every person must ask. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along. How many of you as a child, you went to an amusement park? Raise your hand. You went to an amusement park. Yeah, I mean, you remember the night before, I mean, it's hard to even sleep when you're going to an amusement park because you're so excited about what's going to transpire the next day. And the reason I say that is because that's the way I felt last night about getting ready for church. I felt like a kid getting ready for amusement park, uh, that we were going to have a lot of friends here, and so we are thankful that you came accepted the invitation. We're excited to have you here. Uh, We even have a small gift for you as you leave the service today. It's our way of saying thank you for coming, giving of your time to be here with us today. We're thrilled to have you here. Um, I remember coming across a story a number of years ago about a man, a businessman who was flying, and as he was getting ready to take his trip, he was changing planes And he didn't have a whole lot of time in between his uh, flights, but he was kind of hungry, so he stopped at a sandwich shop, and he picked up a sub sandwich. And he made it onto the plane, and he got situated in his seat, and as he got situated in his seat, he opened his sandwich up, and it was a rather large sandwich, and he began eating his sandwich, and he realized that uh, he wasn't going to be able to finish it. His appetite wasn't as big as his eyes. And so, but the problem was he had thrown away the wrapper, and he had no place to put his sandwich. And so he, could, he had an expensive briefcase. He thought, well, I just can't wrap it up in a napkin and throw it in the briefcase because it'll get all over my important documents and mess up my expensive briefcase. So he wasn't real sure what to do, but he was really frugal, and he didn't just want to throw the sandwich away. And so he happened to glance down at the seat in front of him, Uh, in the plane, and he saw a bag sticking up out of the back seat, a nice, thin, long bag. You use them for emergencies, okay, emergencies. And so he got to thinking, well, a sub sandwich is long and narrow, just like that bag, that would work perfectly. So he picked that bag up out of the seat, he stuffed his sandwich in there, his flight finished, And as he's exiting the plane, he has his briefcase in one hand and his sandwich bag in the other hand. And the flight attendant looks at him and says, you know, um, I can take care of that bag for you. He said, oh, no, no. He said, I'm going to save it and eat it later. (laughs) Uh, To which the flight attendant was really kind of shocked and uh, wasn't sure how to respond to that. Well, it reminds me of another flight a young man took in his early 20s, and that would have been me. It was probably one of my early flights in my life. I didn't have a lot of experience flying, and I think I was around 20, 21 years old. I decided to fly down to Florida to visit my uncle in Key West. I'm not going to tell you about the return flight, because the return flight, I didn't really know about the emergency bag. Let's just leave it go with that. (laughs) I think the pilots were sorry I didn't know about the emergency bag. But anyhow, on my flight down, um, I was seated next to a man who was a few years older than me. 
and we began to engage in conversation. As we engaged in conversation, I realized that he was on his way back home. And on his way back home to Key West, his neighbor was Calvin Klein. I was like, wow, this guy's kind of up there, you know. And so anyhow, we get to talk, and I realized in our conversation that he had been away from home for a month. And he had been going from party to party, just living the high life, just party here, party there, party everywhere. And he was having a wonderful time. But as we got into a deeper conversation and we began to talk about spiritual things, I recognized that he had a void in his life. He had a tremendous void. There was an emptiness, even though he was experiencing all the thrill of entertainment and fun and party, he seemed rather empty and shallow in his life. And so we had a chance just to talk with him about spiritual things and about the Lord. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that come up in our lives that really they're unavoidable. My, my topic today is answering unavoidable questions. Jesus liked to ask questions in the Bible of people. And so if you have a Bible with you, if not, I've got a, a verse here that we can follow along. Um, but if you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, and while you're turning there, I want to focus on the whole aspect of the soul this morning. You see, we all have bodies, and maybe there's 300 bodies here today, 300 people. But in essence, what Jesus and God look at is they look beyond the body and they look to the soul. The soul of a man, the soul of a woman, the soul of a child, God is more interested in our soul than our body. And I want to remind us exactly about what the soul in, encapsulates, and it is this. The soul thinks, feels, acts, and desires. That's what the soul does. The soul contains our passions, our appetites, our affections are all wrapped up in our soul. And so that's why God is concerned about that, because you know at death, what happens at death when we see a body lying in a casket, we see a lifeless form that is there, and why is it lifeless? Because the soul has been separated from the body. That's what happens at death. The soul goes to an eternal destiny. It's eternal. The body is not eternal. The soul is eternal. And that's why God is more concerned about the soul than our body. However, what we do in our body impacts our soul. So it's vitally important that what I do with my body, how I think and feel and act and desire, will, and what I do with my body will impact what happens to my soul. And that's pretty significant. And so... Let's talk about the value of a soul. How valuable is a soul? Well, Jesus asks a question in Matthew 16, 26, two questions that I think should be unavoidable for all of us. Look what it says. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
Notice he doesn't focus on the body. He focuses on the soul because the soul is eternal. It will never, never die. It's eternal. In fact, where did the soul come from? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. A living being. Why? Because God breathed into man the breath of life. That's what the soul is. It is the life. All this tempor- is just the temporary housing of the real person who's inside, and that's my soul, your soul. And so it's vital that we understand the value of the soul. So Jesus asks the disciples, what good will it be if a man gains the whole world? If you had all the wealth of the world, if you had all the money of the world, all the silver, all the gold, all the wealth, he's saying, is that worth more than your soul? And the answer is no, it's not. Because it's all going to perish And then he goes on to say, what about all knowledge? What if you had all the knowledge in the world? Would that be more valuable than your soul? No. He's saying, what good will it be for a man if he gains? Put whatever you want to put in there. You're the greatest athlete. You're the most famous person on the face of the globe. There's a lot of people who are into being famous. If you gain the whole world... And when it talks about forfeit, it means you lose your soul. That's what it means to forfeit your soul. You lose it. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So let me ask you a question right now. What are you giving your soul to? What are you exchanging your soul for? And let me ask you another question. Will you be happy with that exchange 1,000 years from now? Will you be happy with that exchange of your soul 10,000 years from right now? Because it's eternal. It's timeless. And so it's pretty vital what happens with our soul, that we would not give it up. The Gospel of Luke says it this way, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very self? Because it's the inner self, it's the real us. The soul is valuable because it is eternal. It is eternal. Matthew 25, 46 says, The wicked will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, our soul can be troubled. We can look good on the outside, but be troubled on the inside, where we're deeply troubled. A couple of scriptures tell us about this. In Job 30, 16, Job says, Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. In other words, he was weeping on the inside. Have you ever done that? You don't want to weep on the outside, but inside you're dying and you're weeping. You are hurting on the inside. That's your soul that thinks and feels and desires. And maybe you have good reason as to why you're troubled. God says we can be troubled in our soul. Another verse, Psalm 88, 3, for my soul is full of troubles. So it's interesting. The Bible has a lot to say about the soul. You know, we can do a lot of things to our soul. We can neglect our soul. We can injure our soul. 
We can starve our soul. We can feed our soul. We can nourish our soul. And we can anchor our soul. Let me just focus on a couple of these here for a moment. Number one, we can neglect our soul. How do we neglect our soul? We neglect our soul by becoming so busy, I don't have time to think about my soul. I don't have time to think about eternity. I am so busy. I have so much on my plate. I have so many responsibilities. I have a lot of work I've got to get done. Some people just, are, they work and work and work and work. And guess what? They're so busy, they don't have time to think about their soul. And we neglect it. And I can tell you, if I did that to my garden in the summer, <laughs> you know what would happen to my garden? The weeds would choke it out. It would kill the garden. And in essence, that's what happens when we neglect our soul. We begin to shrivel up in our soul, and it kills our soul. The enemy would have us neglect our soul, and yet it's the very thing we should not neglect. We overload our lives. We involve ourselves in interests that consume our time and energy, and we have no time and energy left to nurture our soul. The other way we can neglect our soul is we can become gripped with fear. We can become gripped with fear to the point of, and the reason we are gripped with fear is because I've had some painful things in my life. I've had some painful experiences, and they're so painful and so hurtful that if I was to stop and to look deep into my soul, it would hurt so bad I don't want to hurt anymore, so I'm not going to look deep into my soul. I just close the door on that part of my life, and I neglect it to my own detriment. What I want to encourage you with this morning is you may have pain in your soul, but I have good news for you. God wants to heal your soul. He wants to heal you from the inside out. We sang this morning about he's a healer, and he is. He wants to heal our soul. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Bible says. That's a fancy name for God that says he is the God who heals, and he does want to heal. So let me encourage you, don't neglect your soul because it's eternal. Secondly, we can injure our souls. When we fail to honor God with our bodies, we can bring injury not only to our body, but we'll bring injury to our soul. Do you know why? Because they're inseparable until death. The Bible says we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. I don't know at what point the soul starts and the spirit begins. And I don't know if anybody knows that, but I do know this. We are made body, soul, and spirit, and we can't separate that. So what happens in my body will impact my soul. And that's why it's important that God has given us instruction in his word how we should live, how we should handle our bodies in a way that honors the Lord because what I do with my body will impact my soul. And I think it's vital that we understand that. You see, if I look at pornography, it's not just affecting my eyes and my mind. It's affecting my soul. It is, it is hardening my soul toward God. It is distancing me from God when I do that. If I engage in sexual immorality with my body, I am injuring my soul. 
That's what's so vital. And that's why I want to live a life of purity, a life of integrity, a life that pleases God, a life of sexual purity. Why? I don't want my soul to be injured. It's eternal. And sexual immorality, the Bible says, is offensive to God because it's sinful and sin will injure your soul. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do you know what the essence of sin is? Oswald Chambers says the essence of sin is my right to my claim to myself. My right to my claim to myself. In other words, I want to live independently of God. I want to make my own decisions. I want to have total freedom. I want no accountability before God. And I want to do whatever I want with my body. But here's the problem. It's going to impact your soul. And when you stand before God one day, and I stand before God one day, we all have to give an account of our soul before God. And that's pretty significant because the Bible says it is eternal. And the place that the soul goes is eternal. It's vital that we understand that. And maybe you have been hurt, you've been injured in your soul. I came across a couple statements off a website that really, in essence, helped me that I want to give to you that I think really, in essence, talk about the whole aspect of hurt. Hurt people interpret every word spoken to them through the prism of their pain. Let me say that again. Hurt people interpret every word spoken to them through the pris prism of their pain. And I thought, how true. Maybe you've been hurt and now you have this mentality that you hold everybody at arm's length because the last time you allowed somebody close to you, you were hurt. You do have to be careful, but you need to make sure you invite the right kind of people into your life because there are some people who want to produce healing and help and not to have a victim mentality that the world is against me. There are some good people. There are some godly people who want to help and encourage you. And some people, because of their pain, ordinary words are often misinterpreted to mean something negative toward them. They take every message, whether it's even a positive message, and they turn it around and make it negative. They've already determined everybody's going to judge me for who I am. And they've prejudged the other person, but they don't see it. Don't prejudge other people. Uh, because of the pain and the hurt you've been through, because of the injury, God wants to heal your soul. And he can allow you to come to a place of forgiveness of the people that has hurt you. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, I can forgive somebody who hurts me because of the forgiveness that I've received from Christ for my own sin. Let me move on. 
we can starve our soul. We can starve it. In Psalm 106, verse 15, it says, He gave them, and it's talking about God, what they asked. In other words, He answered their prayer request, but He sent a wasting disease among them. And what He meant by that is, He allowed their soul to become lean. He allowed their soul to become lean. Because we can starve our soul. You know, here is the food for the soul. There is no other book. Now, I, told, I talked about our soul's eternal, right? Guess what else is eternal? God's word. God is eternal and his word is eternal. So this eternal word is going to minister to my eternal soul. There's no other food for my soul that will satisfy my soul outside of this book and this truth. Nothing. No other book, no other writing, no other revelation, no other message. I can't get it from the government. I can't get it from education. I can't get it from science. I can't get it from any other place other than the word of God, which is his written revelation to us that feeds my soul. We can see the struggle of a soul even in the the psalmist when he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Let me ask you a question. Are you at turmoil in your soul today? Do you have inner conflict? Do you have pain? Do you have sorrow? Do you have hurt? Do I want you to feel bad about that? No. I want you to recognize that there is a God who created your eternal soul that wants to heal your soul. And I believe that He can. I believe that he can heal your soul from the inside out, that he can change your life, he can transform your life from sin to righteousness, from darkness to light, from death to life. Jesus Christ can do that. Maybe you're in turmoil because of family problems. You say, boy, if you lived at my household, you would understand The family problems we have going on, yeah, there's turmoil in my soul. Maybe you have problems at school with some of your classmates. And because of that turmoil at school, it has caused turmoil in your soul. Maybe you have problems with self-control and you find yourself constantly telling lies to get out of trouble. You struggle with alcohol. You play around with drugs. You engage in sexual immorality. Why do you do all those things? Because you have not come to the place where you understand that there's food for your soul that God can change your life. Food for your soul that can make you whole, that can bring healing, that can give you hope in your life. I run into people frequently and have questions I would like to ask them, but I sense they're off limits. In other words, you know they don't want to go there. There are certain times that I have conducted funeral services, and when I look out and I I look at the people, I can sense either a lack of interest or almost an annoyance that they're annoyed that I would even bring up something about their eternal soul to consider. And they're annoyed. You see, we can have this mentality that I don't want anything to do with that. 
But I'm going to tell you there is a time and a place and a day where you will have everything to do with that. When we will stand before an eternal God and give an account for our eternal soul. And that, to me, is pretty serious and significant. I think about Jesus confronting the young wealthy man who had money, health, just about everything that would paint a picture of success. But Jesus very pointedly put his finger on the one need in the man's life that was not met. The one thing that is more significant than his bank account or even his good deeds, the one thing that was missing in his life, the one thing that would not bring fulfillment to his life, and that was his relationship to God. And that's what Jesus pointed to. I want to encourage us this morning that God himself is an anchor for our soul. Now you think about this for a moment. Outside of God, where's your hope? Where's your hope? What are you going to put your hope in? What are you going to put your trust in other than God as an anchor for your soul? There's nothing. The world has nothing to offer as an anchor for our soul. Nothing. There are many people in our world today that hear that word, the C word, cancer. Other people who have lost loved ones. Other people who are battling whatever, an addiction of some sort. Where's their hope? You need to have an anchor for your soul. It's God. He's the anchor. Here's what it says in Hebrews 6.19. We have this as an, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Here he's talking about the, the temple that was built back in Jesus' day, and they had a curtain that separated the outer court from the inner court, and they would go into the place, the inner court was the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain, as it were, that separated the two. And he says, and earlier he talks about the promises of God. He says, we have this, our relationship from God, a word from God, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul that's eternal, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Why do I give my life to this book? Because I want God to be pleased with me? No, I need God. <laughs> I need God. I need this word every day to feed my soul. This is my anchor because when I hear about things in Paris, France, when I hear about, you know, 9-11, when I hear about all these things that are happening and Christians being decapitated, all the atrocities in our world, where's my hope? It's in God, Jesus Christ. Where's my hope for my family? It's in God. There's no other hope. There's no other place but God he is our anchor. It means that we place our trust in God. We place our confidence in God. That's what it means to hope in God. An anchor 
is a device that prevents sailing vessels from moving. It holds them. That's what anchors me, is the truth of this book. It anchors my life that no matter what comes, nothing is stronger than the anchor of God. Because the storms are going to come. There'll be difficulty. There'll be hardship. There'll be suffering. There'll be pain. But this anchor holds me through it all. Now, let me share something else with you. God's word is able to save our souls. That's good news. Because what am I going to do with my soul? How is my soul going to be redeemed? How is it going to be reconciled to this holy God? Because the Bible says that we are born in sin. We are conceived in sin. Sin separates us from God because God is holy and sin is unholy. And so how can I, as an unholy, sinful, wicked person, be reconciled to this holy God? Many people have the idea that if I do a lot of good things... That'll move me closer to this holy God. I'll become holy. You can't become holy. God makes us holy. God makes us righteous. I can't make myself righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. Only God can do that. God's word is able to save our soul, the Bible says. Here's what it says. Look at this. James 1.21, Therefore put away all filthiness, and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Why? Because it's the eternal word of God. It is the word of God. When God spoke, he breathed out the living word of God. And so he says, put away. And when he talks about putting away, it's like taking off a garment, a piece of clothes, and casting it aside and putting on the robe of righteousness. I cast that aside, all the filthiness and rampant wickedness. And when he talks about rampant wickedness, he's saying an overabundance of wickedness. We have an overabundance of wickedness, but he says it's not only doing evil acts, it's the fact that we are evil beings. And that's why we do evil, because we're evil beings. But we can receive. When we receive something, we accept it. We favor it. We don't resist it. We don't push it away. We embrace it. And he's saying if we are willing to not push away God, not push away his word, we are willing to embrace it, accept it, believe it. The implanted word, when something is implanted, it germinates and grows like the seed in the ground. The word of God is the seed. When it's planted in my heart, it begins to grow and produce righteousness in me. That's what God is able to do. It's able to save my soul from an eternal loss, eternal punishment from God forever when we receive it into our lives. And so maybe you're like, I don't understand the Bible. That's okay. Come back hear it again, hear it again. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Maybe this is new to you. That's okay. You start where you are. God will work with you where you are and help you grow from there. Just start where you are. Say, God, I don't understand all this. This doesn't make sense to me. I want to understand it. If you pray and you are honest in your heart before God and you say, God, I want to understand this, he's going to reveal it to you by the power of his spirit. Because the Bible says, when you seek me with all your heart, then you're going to find me. 
to be willing to seek the Lord with all your heart. Jesus wants to give us rest for our souls. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not for your body, for your soul. It's eternal. Jesus also cares about our souls. He cares. He cares more about my soul than I do. He cares more about your soul than you do. Here's what he says. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In other words, there's not one anxiety, there's not one heartache, there's not one difficulty, there's not one hurt in my life that I cannot cast on the Lord. He wants it all. He says, bring it to me. Give it to me. I will carry it for you. I will bring healing to you. What a great message. What a wonderful message that God has given to us. The Bible says that he is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. It means he tends and feeds and guards us just like the shepherd did the sheep. The soul is also valuable because Jesus died for our soul. He is the only one who died for our soul. The Bible says that God loved us so much that he gave his only son. In other words, he asked Jesus to take upon himself flesh, a body. He took upon himself that body and he lived and he walked among men on the earth. But he came not just to walk and be an example, he came to be the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, to God, except through Jesus. And so when, in churches you see the cross. Why is that there? It's there because it reminds us of the sacrifice that was paid on the cross of Calvary for my soul, which is eternal. God wants to redeem my soul. He wants to redeem your soul because he's concerned about our eternal destiny. He died. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. And when you talk about belief, belief is saying not just verbally with my lips. It's saying I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm giving my life to God. I'm giving my sin to God, my sin that separates me. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because sin requires a death. And because of that, Jesus was willing to die. The Bible says he was the perfect, sinless substitute who gave his life on the cross for us. He was the only one. I couldn't even die. You couldn't die for somebody else and pay for their sin because we have sin. We all have sin. And the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God because of that sin. And Jesus was willing to die on the cross 
to pay for my sin. And so I remember as a little boy sitting in church hearing that message, and I said, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for Roy Burkett. And I know that he paid for Roy Burkett's sin. And God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, cleanse me, and come into my life and save my soul. And that was a long time ago, <laughs> over 40 years ago. <laughs> so you don't look that old, thank you. Um, Jesus died for my sin. He died for your sin because we have an eternal soul. And here, look at our text again, Matthew 16, 26. Here's an unavoidable question. For whoever, no, let me get it right. Uh, what good will it be for a man, woman, boy, girl, if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? his eternal soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you a question? What are you exchanging your soul for right now? If you had to write down, here's what I'm exchanging my soul for, what kind of words would you put on the paper? And then, like I say, will you be happy with that exchange a thousand years from now? 10,000 years from now, a million years from now, will you be happy with the exchange that you are making? Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as you do, I want you to take time to think about your soul. That's what we've been focusing on today is our soul because it's eternal. You can be troubled in your soul here today. You can neglect your soul. You can injure your soul. You can starve your soul. There's a lot of things you can do to your soul. But I want to remind you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your soul, your eternal soul. And if he did not die on the cross for our soul, there would be no hope of eternal life with God. None. I can't do good deeds. I can't get baptized to wash away my sin. I can't join the church. I can't give money to the poor. There's nothing I can do to erase my sin but cast myself at the grace of and mercy of God. And say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a wicked, evil person. I have a wicked soul. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It is desperately wicked. But God in his grace... Grace is giving me something I don't deserve. I do not deserve God's forgiveness at all. What I deserve is eternal wrath. I deserve eternal judgment. I deserve to be eternally separated from God forever. That's what I deserve. And that's what every other person on the face of the earth deserves. But God, in his grace, says, you know what? I'm coming. I'm on a rescue mission. 
I'm going to give my life on the cross because I love these people so much. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet shaking our fist at God and did not believe him, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, died on the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he shed his blood to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin. And if you're here today, I believe that God has brought you here. Yes, you may have been invited by a a guest, and I'm glad you're here. But I want you to think about your eternal soul. I don't want you to neglect it. I don't want you to continue to injure it or starve it. And maybe you don't have a home church of your own. And if you don't have a home church, we invite you to come back and become a part of our church where you can begin to feed your soul and learn about a relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize maybe for the first time or maybe another time that you're a sinner and you deserve God's eternal wrath and judgment and you have not received forgiveness for your sin because you have not asked God to forgive you. And maybe this morning you are sitting here or standing here in front of me and you're like, man, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I have good news, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. But I have better news. God wants to take away your guilt. He wants to take away your sin. He wants you to anchor your soul in the hope of God and his forgiveness. You just have to ask him. And right where you're standing this morning, if God has convicted you of your sin, and you say, you know what, I need the Lord Jesus Christ, you can pray, but you have to mean it in your heart. Say, God, forgive me a sinner. I recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and shed his blood for my eternal soul. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life and make me a brand new person and help me live for you each day. If you mean that in your heart, God has heard your prayer. Would you let me know that you prayed that prayer before you leave today? Would you just come by, and and even if I'm shaking other hands, would you just wait for a moment and say, you know what, I need to let Pastor Roy know. I want to know that you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in your life because we want to help you grow in your faith. We really do. You don't need to be ashamed of that or embarrassed of that. I want to rejoice with you over what God has done in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and just to be encouraged that God is an anchor for our soul. As I close this in prayer this morning, we have a special gift for our visitors today. If you are visiting with us today, it doesn't matter if you were invited or you just showed up as a visitor, we have a special gift that we're going to have at the doors today for you. We want you to have that as a token of our thanks and appreciation for you coming. And if you don't have a home church... We don't want to steal you from another church, but if you don't have a home church, we would invite you to come back and considering being a part and studying God's Word with us. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. 
or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.